Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. You know, intentional communities has been, I don't know, the, the word's kind of been maybe sidelined a little bit. But, but what we really do is build communities of people who are like-minded, many freedom lovers. We, you know, you've seen us here in Ann Arcapulco and other events for years and decades, right? We've been in business 26 years. And so we've really been able to build communities of similar-minded folks, freedom-oriented communities in Latin America. And it's, it's wonderful. I, I think one of the things that people are going to think is, uh, what's it like for me to go to a place where I don't speak the same language they do? Well, good, good question. You know, the, there are a couple countries in, in the Caribbean and, and Central America that are English-speaking, which are easy. I always say that Belize is actually the easiest first step for many people going south of the border because English is the official language. All the contracts are legal in English. It's common law, so it's very familiar. Some of the Caribbean islands as well. But when you move into Mexico and the, and the Latin part of Latin America, now you're into Spanish, you're into legal documents in Spanish, you're into civil law, which is a little bit unfamiliar. So it can be, it can be intimidating. But when I moved to Nicaragua, I moved to Nicaragua with my wife and my two-year-old daughter in, in 2002. I spoke no Spanish, none, zero. And so for me, I, I understood that it's what I had to do. It was my job. I had to go do it. But what I found was... It was a lot easier to get around than I thought it would be. I learned enough Spanish within a couple months that I could you know, get myself in trouble, but not get out of trouble, of course. There was a terrible case in um, in Acapulco where, by the way, HBO's The Anarchist is probably Anarchists is going to be focusing on this particular issue. Is that there was a shooting in Acapulco and it was some people who went down to be part of Anarchapulco and this whole thing. And as I understand, there were drugs involved. It's really good advice. Wherever you are, is is that if you're going to participate in mind-altering substances, period, that you do it, you, you find some cushion, some go-between in between you and whatever this, uh, this, this world is, and don't let it control you. But, um, you know, eh, humans being what they are, they want to make generalizations about places. Because it's easy. Look, if we just say, oh, Honduras, Honduras is dangerous, right? Then we don't have to really think about it at all. We can, we can really, you know, move our brain somewhere else. But the point is, is if we're, if, look, freedom and personal responsibility are two sides of the same coin, right? If we want to be free, we have to take personal responsibility to do our own due diligence, to, to look at the numbers, to be empirical, to be rational. Because if we're not, then we're just crazy free, which, you know, who, who I don't know. I mean, some people are crazy free, of course, right? And that's okay, too, if they want to be. But but my personal mantra is that, that personal responsibility is the element that gives us real, true freedom. And, you know, and, and I've written this, uh, this consumer resource guide. I got a copy of it here. I carry it around. This consumer resource guide helps us move from the land, the nanny state of the United States and Canada, where we've got regulatory bodies. We've got truth and, you know, truth and lending, truth and advertising laws, right? Club 75 refers to people whose income is 75,000 or higher, and they are paying 90% of all federal income tax, but they're only 29% of uh, taxpayers, so they don't have the votes to stop it or even control it. So I'm trying to encourage those people to move to New Hampshire and work with me to uh, negotiate peaceful secession. So I was just talking to Carla Garicki, um, or Garrick, 
I believe is what she's going with, <laughs> um, about uh, secession. And I can say that I support nullification for New Hampshire. Um, I think that uh, secession is a bit of a, a bit of outside the realm of uh, possibility. Can you see how um, nullification might work to some extent um, on a state level to ease the tax burden on people who honestly just don't get a good don't get good representation? Uh- could be, but I, I have more ambitious plans. I, th- my tagline is opting out of income tax. It's not just for millionaires. So look at what millionaires can do. They can move to countries like Monaco and the Bahamas. They don't have to nullify. They don't have to sneak around. They don't have to hide their transactions with crypto. They can travel the world and say, hey, everybody, I don't have to pay income tax and nobody can stop me. I want the same thing for non-millionaires. One of our characters in the in the video that we have is uh, a, a woman named Alice. She's an investor, and she's making uh, five and a half million or so a year. So she's in the top 0.03 percent of taxpayers, but sh- but that group is paying 13 percent of all federal income tax. So gives you an idea of how lopsided things are. Yeah, it's very very lopsided um, when it happens. So where can people find out more? Uh, Club75alliance.com. Yeah, I think it's exciting, and I hope you can get uh, these these people together. There should be a tax union um, for these kind of people, and I think it's just, you know, I, I have a family, right? Um, and in my family, the way we used to run things is, is you know, uh, we've got deci- we got two adults that make decisions. We talk to the kid about what it is he'd like to see and what he'd like to do. But I, I gotta say, his uh, his decision making was disproportionately, um, you know, decided around Legos and candy. Um, you know, like these aren't good things to be making decisions on. Would you like to brush your teeth now, or would you like some candy? Well, you know, these are bad decisions. And so when you go ask people who, you know only benefit from a government program and never have to pay for it what they think about that government program they may they may think it's inefficient they may be upset about uh, the service but they certainly don't want to do away with it IRAs are important and what the interest group does is give you the ability to invest in just about anything Mindy tell me about it Yes, thank you, Mark, for having me here today. Um, so the interest group are self-directed IRA record keepers and custodians. And with that, that essentially gives you the ability to invest in all sorts of alternatives, things like real estate or startup companies, any sort of private equity, private debt, cryptocurrencies, precious metals. The spectrum of what you can invest in is actually very broad. The key is that it has to be for investment purposes. And by having an alternative um, retirement account, this allows you to further diversify your retirement portfolio, which a lot of individuals think that they're stuck in the stock market of stocks, bonds, mutual funds. So this world of alternatives does exist. The key is having your retirement account with a custodian that is willing to hold those types of assets. So your standard custodians like TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab, they might say they have a self-directed account, but you're still limited to stocks, bonds, mutual funds. The key is having your account with a custodian who holds the alternatives. So that's how you're able to actually invest in the alternative class. So... I mean, obviously, it makes sense to have a certain amount of your portfolio um, in, you know, say stocks, bonds, uh, you know, maybe maybe some real estate, some REITs, uh, you know, who knows what they all are. And we're not trying to give advice here. 
I'd like you to explain the difference between a Roth IRA and your standard IRA and tell me if you guys offer those things and how that would work with uh, tax deferral before and after. Yep, absolutely. So we actually have seven different accounts that you can self-direct. There's a traditional IRA, Roth IRA, SEP IRA, Simple IRA, Solo 401k, ESA, and HSA. So all seven of those types of accounts can be self-directed. Now, with that being said, a traditional IRA at interest that's self-directed has the exact same characteristics as a traditional IRA at, let's say, Charles Schwab. What what is different about it is it's the custodian that dictates what you can and can't invest in. So, for example, again, at Fidelity, let's say that you want to buy a house inside of your IRA. Today, you heard that Mark and I talk about that you can buy a house inside of your IRA. You go to Fidelity and you tell them, I heard I can buy a piece of property inside of my IRA. They're going to tell you, no, you can't. And that's true. You can't with them. You can inside of your IRA, but you have to have your money with the custodian who holds those assets. So... All of our accounts have the exact same characteristics as your standard type of account. It's just that we allow you to invest in those alternatives. So RMDs are the same. Um, Contribution limits are the same. Everything's the same in regards to that type of account specifically. We trade over the counter under the symbol VRVR. We have about a half a dozen legacy games that we produced over the last several years. Our uh, big news lately is that we signed up Dog the Bounty Hunter to do a series of video games with him, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. Yes, my understanding is you brought him here, and that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the video games you've got available to people to download and what it might be like. Our best game, Mark, uh, especially for your listeners who enjoy virtual reality games, which, of course require a headset, and there are a number of those out there, Oculus, HTC, Samsung. Uh, We crafted a game that was a little counterintuitive to what you see out there. Uh, A lot of games on VR are uh, first-person shooter or, you know, pretty violent games, you know, energetic. Uh, You get an adrenaline rush. We went the other direction. We have a game called Catch and Release, And it's literally meant to be a chill, calming game that you play at the end of a long day. Uh, You are literally sitting in a little fishing boat. You've got your radio by your side. You've got your cooler full of beer. You've got your fishing rod. And you literally can fish for different, different types of fish on this very nice lake and beautiful background. We've got a bear walking around on the hills outside the lake. Tell me about the Dog the Bounty Hunter game that you I know the dog was uh, here. I'm just very curious as to, to what's going on. So Dog is uh, based out of Castle Rock, Colorado. He's, of course, uh, originally from Hawaii. For those who, you know, millions of people who watched his show for 10 years, better over 10 years. And we became acquainted with Dog through a mutual friend about a year ago. We thought... It would be a really fun, interesting game to replicate what he did in his show. So uh, we're going to do a series of games, and I'll get into that in a moment. But the first primary game, you literally will be dog, you know, and you'll play this on your phone. It'll be a downloaded mobile app. You'll literally, you know, get in your car. You'll go to, you know, meet the bail bondsman who's got the problem with the guy that didn't show up for his hearing. And, uh 
dog needs to go out and collect him. And, you know, then dog gets the file and he's got to go talk to, we'll say, the ex-wife or the former business partner or what have you and try to track down the the person that didn't want to show up for court. And uh, it's going to be done with a lot of humor. You know, it's going to be lighthearted. It'll be fun. There'll be a fair amount of action. For those who did watch the show, you know, we're going to do our best to stay true to what happened. I like the non-aggression principle as an idea, but I feel it's a foundation, not a place to... It's not complete. I, I look at it, it, principles in two forms. So one is principles which you and I would, would use and everybody uses in their lives. We make decisions on what those are going to be. And it could be I'm going to eat breakfast every morning. That's going to be part of my health program. It could be that I'm going to drive white cars because they're the safest. They're because I, I'm going to return phone calls and, and my, my mail. I'm going to be responsible on those lines. Those are principles which you personally identify that you're going to use. They're foundational statements which we use to live our lives, and they're great. But there's another term or, or, or concept on how you can use the term principle in the form of uh, uh, like gravity. So you got natural uh, world out there, and there's things there that we can't change. So versus principles that we can identify and state that these are ours, they are changeable. But you can identify a principle in nature, in the person, obviously in the principle of, I'm sorry, yeah, a human nature, like gravity, or the way chemicals react versus temperature, etc. We can't change those. We can't pass a law in the city council to say, well, this weekend we're going to have a fair, and so there should be no rain. Right, that's a natural law, basically, or something to that effect. It's a, it's, it's a natural order. Yeah, it's, an, it's a natural law. So I've, I've uh, looked at a few things, the three basic things about human nature, and uh, piece those together to what I consider a principle, which is pretty recognizable. But the ramifications of it, I think, are... Uh, are more uh, radical, but uh, interesting. So what are those principles, and what are the ramifications, the radical ramifications? I'm curious. The, uh, well, number one, it starts with uh, uh, three what I call axioms. So the first one is I believe people, their fundamental mission in life is to be happy. So we want to be happy from a social relationship, other people. We decrease their happiness if we, if we physically harm them. We decrease their happiness if we steal their property. The point is... It's a principle, and it's a principle of human nature, and you can't change it. So this, this principle works every single time. It's like gravity. You can't change it. So once you can get to understand what I mean by principle, in a sense that it, when you can identify something that's hardcore, it's hardwired in nature, you can't change it. Yeah, I think that's true. You cannot change that. So um, what is the uh, foundation for harmony and prosperity doing to bring this uh, revelation of yours uh, you know, forward? I think, it, I think you're accurate. Libertarians have been doing a lot in the sphere of politics and that this, will, uh, this is something one can implement in your life. You can be happier now. Yeah, I think it pertains to your personal life uh, in one way. But the radical part about it and what, people, what it shows... I believe that as a principle that's really founded in, in nature is that when you look then at, at, and that's a social philosophy, it's how we should work together. And that's how we do work together. Everybody has those principles in their personal life or they wouldn't have friends if you go around harming other people. So we have to live by those principles. The difference now is you get to this concept of government and, and, and coercion and ask yourself what law the government passes does not backed up with a gun. We are Christians who are libertarian, and uh, we believe that libertarianism is the best uh, expression of Christian political thought, and we're here to make that that case both to Christians and non-Christians alike. There's um, often a question of whether Christianity and libertarianism is even compatible. We believe it absolutely is, and we're here to share that with people. 
I've had this experience being in the movement for 20 years. I can say that there are plenty of Christians that I've met, and they're great Christians, and they're working hard to do that sort of thing. At the same time, there's a no-gods, no-king kind of uh, idea that uh, seems to permeate Christi- uh, excuse me, uh, libertarianism. And to me, I just it, it, they're, they're separate things. I mean, obviously, it, it seems clear to me that uh, a creator created us to wish to have freedom and that one can only rule through you know just means i'm curious where where you guys stand and what uh, your foundational literature is like yeah well we hold to the principle of self-ownership um when we talk about that in terms of our christian faith we call it a a self-stewardship that god gave us that stewardship over our own bodies that's not something that anybody else has any control over so in relation to others we own ourselves in relation to god we are stewards of ourselves um and this is all basic founded in scripture so that whole phrase is render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's and to God what is what is God's and to owe no one anything. So really what this means is you owe the state nothing. Don't don't participate in the state and you owe them nothing in the eyes of God. As far as you know, rendering unto God what is God's, well, that's, that's everything. That's my life. And he sets us free. Christian liberty, freedom of conscience, those are all concepts that are at the heart of Christian doctrine, and those do not belong to the state. I imagine you get a certain amount of pushback. It seems like in the liberty movement, um, you know, atheists' favorite thing to do is to chit-chat about uh, somebody else's religion. You know, to me, I find it boring, uh, you know, to you know to, to go into the very, very minutia, but I know that that's their favorite thing. You try to make, uh, you know, alliances with them in so much as, hey, we're both against, you know, bad governance here, or do you try, uh, you know, you're trying to make a home for people who, you know, believe in religion? I'm just kind of curious, how do you find yourself in this, uh, this kind of... Uh, You know, libertarians love to debate. I think we are free to debate religion, of course, um, but I like Frederick Douglass's view that we'll work with anybody who who wants to be free. We've been producing conservative and libertarian-themed films for, uh, I've been doing it since the beginning of the Tea Party movement, but here at Anthem, our first entry was Invalidated, which is a prequel to Innovation Race, which is the film we're screening here now. Invalidated was a story of an inventor who had had his property infringed upon by another company and had his IP stolen despite the fact he had a patent and, and, and his patent didn't provide him any protection. Remember, you know those water balloons when you go to Walmart, they, they have like 50 water balloons you put in the end of a hose, you fill them up. Those things look so exciting to me. I know that um, my son had some when he was little for a brief period of time, but yeah, I mean, they're so neat. Yeah, yeah, it's called Bunch of Balloons. Well, he invented this thing and then put it on Kickstarter and, and it made a million dollars in like two days. And someone ordered one of, from Kickstarter, painted it a different color, and started selling it and putting it on, on TV. So that, and even though it was, his idea was patented. So it's his personal journey to uh, save his invention. And it takes him to Washington, D.C., where he learns that the laws had been changed to weaken the rights of inventors so that big tech can poach content and, and, and use predatory infringement uh, of, of uh, ideas to get to market fast with their tech ideas. So that's what that film talked about. It's a heart-wrenching story. You've been a filmmaker for a very long time, is that right? Um, what, what are some of the other things that people could find of yours? Well, we started back in the Liberty Movement with Tea Party Movie. It's a documentary about the rise of the Tea Party Movement. It follows five activists off the couch into activism, arriving at the National Mall for the 9-12 March on Washington back in 2012. 
And uh, then we have uh, 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 Runaway Slave with C- Reverend C.L. Bryant. It's a story of black conservatives. We did that back during the Obama administration. Features Andrew Breitbart, uh, uh, you know, uh, and uh, Glenn Beck, um, uh, and, and dozens and dozens of other people. So, so Runaway Slave, what, what is that, um, what's that name suggest? Because, uh, I mean, obviously, being a black conservative is a no, difficult... Yeah, it's got, we got Thomas Sowell, Elveda King, Star Parker, uh, Herman Cain. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of black conservatives in it. It's basically the story of black conservatives in, in 2012, which hasn't changed much since then. But it follows the journey along a new underground railroad. This pastor who's a former uh, NAACP chapter president named C.L. Bryant, who's pretty famous in conservative movie uh, circles. He's got his own blog and all. Um, C.L. goes on this journey to discover, you know, this new underground railroad of freedom away from the entitlement mindset of big government. Definitely involved with Morningstar. I was their financial controller. Uh, when Morningstar started its first uh, construction of tomato processing factory in 1990, 32 years ago. And uh, we're in construction working out of a little tiny farmhouse on a dusty canal bank in Northern California. And one day our uh, entrepreneur founder, Chris Roofer, came into the farmhouse and said, let's have a meeting of colleagues uh, and talk about governance, how we're going to organize this thing. So at the time, we had about 24 colleagues. Most of them were technicians. I was the financial controller. And we met in a little double-wide trailer out on the job site in the evening. And uh, Chris handed out a document called the Morningstar Team Principles. And uh, in the document, uh, he proposed organizing around two core principles, Number one, people shouldn't use force or coercion against uh, other people. And number two, people should keep the commitments they make to other people. This sounds remarkably like libertarianism in a nutshell. Well, it certainly does. And if you think about it, it's the principle of all law everywhere in the world. All laws against assault, battery, theft, burglary, uh, kidnapping, murder, and all the rest uh, undergird the principle of not using force. And contract law, civil law, would mean nothing if people didn't keep their commitments. So uh, absolutely the basis of uh, civilized work everywhere in the world. What I found is, is in many cases with employees and people that you do business with, is that um, obviously there's not a lot of, uh, of violence going on in the workplace. Although a workplace at one point in human history had a, lot, had a great deal. I mean, you know, employees were beaten and slaves were beaten and the, these sorts of things. I think this is for everybody because everybody's an employer. Everybody's an employee. Ultimately, I mean, I don't. I'm not using the legal term employer and the legal term employee, but I'm. We're relationships uh, have to do with transmitting value and have and setting expectations, and that's what we're uh, coming down with. So I'd say this is for everybody to understand, but. Um, fundamental, you know, let's, let's just leave it to business owners. Where can business owners and, uh, people find out more about this? Cause I mean, I want to dig into what you've had to say and I know that I'm not going to be able to do it in 10 minutes. Well, a couple of places. Number one, they can go to my website, dougkirkpatrick.com, fill out the contact form, uh, or go to the selfmanagementcollective.org and, uh, they can take a survey and find out the current state of their own organization and the degree to which it's subject and open to change. So that's Doug Kirkpatrick, Self-Management Collaborative. Two websites. The first one, DougKirkpatrick.com, my personal website, which has a contact form, or they could go to selfmanagementcollective.org. So I'm seeing collaborative on your um, card card here. Um, Is it collective or collaborative? I'm sorry, collaborative.org. 
So selfmanagementcollaborative.org. They say they're trying to avoid recessions by pumping trillions of dollars with uh, quantitative easing, with wars overseas. They claim they're trying to promote democracy and freedom around the world. With COVID, they claimed they were trying to con- uh, contain the spread and trying to stop the disease from going nuclear and all over the place. And then, obviously, the reverse of all these things ends up being true. I, Like I said, I think they have more nefarious goals, but that's always the premise that they have is that they're trying to fix these natural problems. My case is they can't fix the problems. They make them worse, and we actually need to embrace a little bit of Darwinianism and just accept that some people are going to fail, some people aren't going to be as good as others, and that natural hierarchy is actually a good thing. And I look at capitalism as embracing nature in the marketplace, and so that's why I chose the name naturalist capitalist. I'm not a nudist. A lot of people confuse it with naturist capitalist, but it's naturalist capitalist. Yeah, you you do have pants on, and I appreciate that, I got to say. When I think about capitalism, I do think of it as sort of a natural state. It seems like people understand that they need to produce something in order to trade it with other people. I mean, we've had trade a long time. We uh, It was really the Industrial Revolution that created sort of modern economics. Um, I mean, obviously, there was you know something passing for economics prior to that. On our platform is a combination of a hardware light and an application to help people be able to communicate their status, availability, and openness to communication to those around them. So what that means is, is you've got a device, and that device, uh, you're an old radio guy like me, and you're used to having an on-air light to let the world know. The reason that we have on-air lights is to let the world know, and how many people. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and say it. It happened to me yesterday. I almost inter- uh, interrupted Glenn Greenwald in a podcast interview because I, and Glenn Greenwald, one of my personal you know, favorites out there, because he's, you know, because there's no indication of what's going on. That's exactly it. And again, worked in radio. On air light was so fantastic. Everybody knew, you know, that it's you know, don't come in, don't be, you know, make noise. And with the change in the work now, with so many people working from home, working in the office, and th- we're all broadcasting ourselves on Teams, on Zoom all the time. I'm on a team or Zoom call probably three or four hours a day. And for my family to not be able to know when they can come in, when they can interrupt me, was a problem. So I created the on-air platform and the on-air light so I can have one on my desk. So when I'm coming up on a call, it looks at my calendar. The light begins to glow. So I don't do that thing where it's like, okay, I got four minutes to the call. Oh, I got one minute to the call. I'm ADHD. I get squirrel and it's five minutes past. Crap, I'm late for my call. You've got a prototype of the device that's sitting right here. Um, It glows different colors. I'm into all of that. How do you go from good idea and this is a i'm gonna like i'm convinced now this is a good idea eric my question is how do you go from good idea to getting this out there there's a lot of people right now who have what they believe to be good ideas and i'm not advocating for their ideas um what they believe to be good ideas and they're trying to go from where you are you've got you're farther you've got a prototype um from where you've been to where you hope to go how do you do it well luckily my whole career has been in high, running high-tech companies and starting companies. I have a track record of bringing complex h- hardware and software products to market. So I've done this many, many times. We've gone from basically zero to prototype hardware, software, custom hardware in less than four months. We are 
we are ro- going ahead. We have pilots with large companies. Imagine a company that has two or 3,000 home workers that are they can just send a kit that costs $99 for two lights in the app that's going to increase, increase their productivity by 10 to 25% right out of the gate. So the idea is we're going to sell to large companies to be able to then take that product and be able to give it to their employees as a Christmas gift that's going to help their interpersonal relationships, their productivity, and their uh, ability to communicate. And then, But we're also selling it direct. So we're starting the show in December. We're going to start shipping. You can pre-order it now at www.onairplatform. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, Listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.